This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. This morning's reading of God's holy and perfect infallible word comes from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle of tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Children are dismissed to class unless you're going to be staying with us. Um, My job this morning is to preach hope to the hopeless, but if you're a Michigan fan, you have already have that. (laughs) Praise God. (laughs) But before we jump in, let's just take a moment and pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we do come before you, and Lord, we are very thankful Um, We're thankful most of all for the forgiveness of sins that has been granted us. The fact that we who are the offender, the sinner, the enemy of God, and we have been made a friend, a child, an heir. It's overwhelming to think of the grace and the mercy that has been extended to us. But I pray that these few minutes that we spend together in your word would minister to us. Help our eyes to reflect and our ears to hear and our hearts to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. May we be mindful of our desperate need for him. May we be ever in touch with the reality that apart from him, we are nothing. May we look to him as the sole and lone savior of the world, for that is who he truly is. May we cherish him May we love him, and may we seek to obey him, not out of fear, but out of love, God. Lord, it's a great thing to know that when we pray, you hear us, not because we've earned it, Lord, but because you are a good and loving father. 
It's a good thing to know that we can come boldly to the throne of grace without fear or trepidation. That we can come with confidence to know that our requests are heard. And whatever is good and perfect will be granted. God, help us to ever be mindful that you are the giver of all good things. If we as earthly parents know how to give good gifts, how much more do you, who is the perfect father, And that is testimony in the gift of Jesus. So God, this morning I pray that our hearts would be made warm and that, Lord, we would be evermore in love with you. Lord, I do pray, as we pray each and every week, God, that whatever burden, whatever shame, whatever guilt we've carried into this place, that it would be taken from us. That it would be replaced with joy and confidence and hope a hope that you can only provide. God, we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon this place, to ignite our hearts, and to draw us ever closer to you, we pray. We pray believing that you will do even better than we know how to ask or pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Time Magazine once asked a novelist by the name of Ayn Rand. She's the author of a book called Fountainhead. She died in 1982. But the Time Magazine journalist asked this question. He looked at her and said, Miss Rand, what's wrong with the modern world? What's wrong with the modern world. Without hesitation, Miss Rand quickly replied, never before has the world been so desperately asking for answers to the crucial questions. And yet, never before has the world been so frantically committed to the idea that no answers are possible. Think about that dilemma. A desire for answers, but to believe no answers are possible. Mrs. Rand, in 1982, when she died, she shook with her an immense amount of wisdom. She was a champion before her time because she saw clearly and was able to identify clearly the problems, not just of modernism, but of its daughter, postmodernism. And eventually, her granddaughter, irrationalism, which is the time in which we live today, a time of hopelessness, a time of desperately wanting the answers to life for things to be better, but at the same time believing nothing better can ever come. This is the world we find ourselves engaged in, a world of hopelessness. Friends, think about that word for one moment. Hopelessness. That is the world we live in. Let me give you a little stat that mirrors the truth that hopelessness is a time in which we are living. Because the fruit of hopelessness is depression. This stat comes from this year, 2021. 
And the stat reads this way. Some 32.8% of Americans suffer from symptoms of depression. That's one in three American adults are struggling with symptoms of depression. Why? Because we live in an irrational age. An age in which we recognize there's problems. An age in which we recognize things are not right, but at the same time, we have no belief that anything good can happen. So what are we left with? But depression and hopelessness. And church, hear me this morning. Hopelessness is a powerful enemy. Someone who is hopeless may be suicidal. Someone who is hopeless may do irrational things. Someone who is hopeless gives up the will to even live. Hopelessness is a powerful enemy. And yet the book of Isaiah that we're in for this Advent season, this this celebration of, of Christ's birth, is a book of hope. Many commentators talk about the gospel of Isaiah, the hope of Isaiah, the good news of Isaiah. But what's astounding is that this good news of Isaiah is wrapped all in times of despair and judgment and woe. Most of us are very unfamiliar with Isaiah, so let me give you some background. The book of Isaiah is actually written by the prophet Isaiah. There's some 66 chapters to the book of Isaiah, the same number as books in the Bible. Isaiah seems to be a centerpiece to the connection between the Old Testament and the New. For the New Testament writers quote Isaiah more than any other book to point to the importance of Christ. What was going on at the time of Isaiah? Well, Isaiah was given a mission to speak and to preach and to declare God's news to the southern tribe. Because if you know anything about the people of God, they were disobedient and eventually split. A northern tribe, Israel, and a southern tribe, Judah. But both were wicked, although the north gets blamed more than the south. And Isaiah was called to preach to the southern tribe, to call them to repentance. And he did this through a series of woes, a series of messages of judgment. He would talk about the consequence of sin. He did this as he talked about the illustrations God would use, physical manifestation, physical illustrations to draw them to the truth of their need of repentance. The first would be the exile of the northern tribe Israel to be taken over by an Assyrian Gentile army. But we're God's people. God would never allow that. But he would to get the attention of his people. And friends, this happened in 722 B.C. All the while, Isaiah points to the north and what will happen to them as a warning to the south. 
declaring to them, be warned, God will not be mocked. Judgment will come to this house. Exile will equally follow you, southern tribe. But they wouldn't listen. And eventually, exile did come in the year 586 by the Babylonians, another Gentile army. Within that list of woes, the call for judgment, the book of Isaiah wraps messages of hope. What do those messages look like? They look just like the one here in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The promise of salvation that would come through a Savior. One who would reign, one who would rule on their behalf, one who would set the record straight. And the people of God were to not despair, not to be suicidal, but to have hope. Ironically, rather than listening, the people of Judah began to put their trust in physical armies. They began to make alliances with people that at once held them in captivity, the Egyptians. And Isaiah would preach to them, what are you doing? Don't trust in the power of men. Trust in the power of God. Friends, clearly, the message of salvation needed to be preached again and again and again to these sin-filled people. And that's exactly what Isaiah does. According to E.J. Young, a famous Old Testament scholar, he says the purpose of this book and this prophecy in Isaiah is to teach the truth that salvation is by grace alone. That it is of God and not in any way, shape, or form of man. That all through this book, God is the one to be praised, not the power or might of man. But how often sinful man would rather put their confidence in themselves or in other physical things rather than the living and true God. Friends, this is our story. This is our story of how we have strayed from God. And friends, I draw your attention to the very first verse, verse 2 that we're looking at this morning. And verse 2 says this, the people who walked in darkness. This is the picture of the time of Isaiah. That he's ministering to a people who are walking in darkness. The world was dark as it is today. The world was full of tribulation and distress and panic and violence. The truth be told, the world was dark not simply because they were born into it, but because they added to it. And the same is true of ourselves. That we're not just born into a dark, sin-crazed world. We actually contribute to its mess. After all, David said, in sin did my mother conceive me, referring to original sin. But Paul would make it clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. We all contribute 
to the darkness. And it's in this darkness that we walk. It's in this darkness that we feel the hopelessness. It's in this darkness that we experience all of the judgment and filth and ugliness of sin. It's in this darkness that we understand the very words of Scripture to be true because we understand the hopelessness that this world provides. After all, listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1, beginning at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to their lusts of the heart, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Friends, that's our day and age. We live in the darkness of society where we see exchanging the truth for a lie, worshiping the creation rather than the creator. This is the darkness in which we raise our children. This is the darkness in which we work. This is the darkness in which we experience shame and guilt and loneliness. Friends, I draw your attention to this reality because the text of Isaiah 9 shows us the actual implications of sin in the world. Darkness. It's the heavy kind of darkness, almost like a fog, where you can't even reach out and feel light in any direction. In that heaviness, there's desperation. In that darkness, there's loneliness. That's the darkness that sin brings. But friends, it's not just darkness. Sin also brings with it opposition and bondage. Because very quickly, people, individuals who are in this world experiencing the darkness experience the bondage of sin. The guilt of sin. The shame of sin of sin. They wear it. It owns them. You can see it on their faces and in their eyes. The emptiness. The loneliness. The shackling. The bondage. This is an result of sin in the world and the darkness that sin brings is the bondage and the oppression. But sin also brings war and violence, according to Isaiah 9. A war and violence, not just of one nation against another, and not just of one household against another, but within the same household, in fact, within the same person, becomes the war and the battle as they rage. This is the darkness. This is the oppression. This is the bondage. This is the war of sin upon a world. And all along, we stroll, according to verse 2, in the depths 
of darkness. Deep darkness. And what are we left with? But hopelessness. Emptiness. Depression. Friends, as I read those stats, one in three, it overwhelms me. I know the need as a pastor to counsel and to give help, but it overwhelms me to see the affliction of an irrational society who's stuck in this darkness of war and bondage and loneliness. Overcome with fear and hopelessness, all that's left is depression. So I ask you, being honest with yourself this moment, how have you experienced the world's darkness? How has it affected your home? How has it affected your heart? How has the deep darkness you walk in every day affected you and the ones you love? Because you know it to be real. The stats back it up. It's all around us. We're desperately hungry for good news, but our belief is there is no good news to be had. And so we're left hungry and wanting. But right smack in the middle of the darkness, we're told of a child who is born. Drop down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This announcement of this child born in this darkness is absolutely staggering. Because this, my friends, is the good news of the gospel. That Jesus breaks into our darkness. Jesus breaks into our loneliness. Jesus breaks into our bondage. Jesus breaks into our war. Because of his love. He comes to rule and to reign. And who is this king to be born? But the Messiah. The one who would sit on the throne of David forever. Remember the promise to David that God had made that your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever, David, is what God promised. And here, in verse 7 of Isaiah chapter 9, we are told that the one who is seated on the throne of David is this child. He will rule forever. Emmanuel is his name, which means God with us in our darkness, in our loneliness. God with us in our bondage. God with us in our wars. God is present. In the person and work of Jesus Christ, God has entered our struggle. 
And what will this king do? But bring healing and freedom. Listen to the the transition that is played from turmoil to peace as the government is placed upon this child's shoulders. This child will be known as the wonderful counselor. The description there in verse 6 is one of a miraculous wisdom. And how is Jesus talked about? Well, in Mark chapter 1, verse 22, it says they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, not as a scribe. There's something special about Jesus and his wisdom. But it's not just that he's a wonderful counselor. Friends, he is the mighty God. He is the divine warrior. He is the hero of the scriptures. He is the God who protects his people. Isn't that what God promised there to the people of Israel as they faced the enemy, Egypt? In chapter 14 of Exodus, verse 14, it says, The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Stand back and watch him fight. You don't have to fight the darkness. You don't have to win the victory on your own. Christ has already won it. He is the mighty God. No enemy can stand against him. Why? Because he is the hero. And how long shall he reign? Well, according to verse 6, he is the everlasting father. Which means his reign shall have no end. He shall never need a successor. For he shall rule for all eternity. And friends, what will his reign be like but peace? For he will be known as the Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace between God and man. And he is the one who, yes, brings peace between man and man. It's said of him in John 16, where Jesus said, I have said these things to you, that you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You'll have darkness. You'll have hostility. But take heart. I have overcome the world. That's the victory and reign of this child. So who is it? Who is it in whom we're to place our trust and hope? Friends, it is Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ, the long-awaited one, the one who was promised back in Genesis as the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, the one who is king of kings and lord of lords, the one who will reign for all time. It is him in whom we are to trust. But the question before us is, do you know this king? I don't mean know about him, but do you know him? Have you placed your your hope and your confidence in him alone? Are you trusting him to bring you victory over the darkness? Are you trusting him to free you from the shackling and the bondage of sin? Are you trusting him to bring peace where there is no peace in your life? That is what Jesus came to do. Not simply give out tickets to heaven, but to bring heaven 
to earth. That's what we long for. But the question stands, do you know this king? Do you know this king? And have you placed your confidence in him alone? Friends, I would draw your attention to the picture of his reign as found in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them his light has shone. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. John says in John 1 verse 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. He goes on to say in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Friends, that is the joy of the gospel. That is the good news of salvation, that Jesus Christ is victorious and all who are in him are given that light, even in the face of darkness. Church, do you know what I love about light? The deeper the darkness, the greater and brighter the light. That's the victory Jesus provides. To those without hope, he provides hope. To those with shame, he removes the guilt To those enslaved, he sets them free. To those at war, he brings peace. That's exactly what is depicted in Isaiah 9 as they burn up all that's needed for warfare. For Jesus has provided the victory. We no longer need to fight. We need to rest. We need to rest in Christ. For he is the light of the world. And this light brings hope. Hope for the prisoner confined to the dungeon of darkness. He sets him free and releases the prisoner into the light of day. Friends, can you imagine the joy of seeing the light when all you've known is darkness? That's what Jesus provides. What we thought was bright, what we thought was was good looking, ultimately becomes nothing compared to Jesus. Listen to Paul's words in Colossians 1.13. He's delivered us from a dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. For the first time, we know what true joy is. For the first time, we understand what real love looks like. For the first time, we can see who we were. But now we see who we are in Christ. Forgiven empowered, and free. Sin brings bondage, but Jesus, the light, brings joy and freedom. John says, in in the Son you are set free, so be free indeed. How often we run back to those things which can find us, but Jesus has freed us. Remove those things that would hold you hostage from the joy and salvation that Jesus alone provides. Church, sin brings war, loss, and confusion, but Jesus, the light of the world, provides peace, perfect peace. A peace that only Jesus can provide. For Jesus said, peace I leave you, 
My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. What joy there is in Jesus. What freedom there is in Jesus. Church, the good news is that the places of deepest darkness have witnessed the greatest light, the light of Jesus. The question before you is, do you know that light? Have you experienced that freedom, that joy, that hope? Some of you may say, Pastor, if the light has come, why is there still darkness in the world? I remind you, when Isaiah prophesied about these things, he talked about the Savior who would come. But we live in a position, in a place where Jesus has come. But understand this, church. At his first coming, he came to inaugurate the plan of redemption. Jesus broke in to the darkness with his light. And as the kingdom expands, the light spreads. Those who are in hostage situations in dark captivity are now freed by the good news of the gospel because the light of Jesus has reached them. That's the reality and the power of the first coming. But understand, there is a second coming yet to happen in which the full consummation of God's plan of redemption will be known. Perfect judgment of throwing sin and death itself into the lake of fire forever where there be no more weeping, no more crying, no more death. That's the hope of the gospel. For now we know in part. But one day we will know in completion. Paul says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. For now I know in part, but then I shall know fully. Friends, this coming of Christ calls us to hope. It calls us to believe and to trust what Jesus accomplished is the new reality. To trust that Jesus is coming again in which he will vanquish all of our enemies forever. While they are defeated now and they are losing their power and their strength and their might as the kingdom of God spreads more and more, the glory of God is being revealed to the day when he returns and death is no more how we long and hope for that day. We need to look to Jesus. We need to hope in Jesus. For Jesus is our only hope. Let's pray. Father, it's easy for us to enter an Advent season and know that we're going to talk about the birth of Jesus. But God, being honest with ourselves, we forget why he came. Jesus didn't just come to give us tickets to heaven. Jesus came to change our lives. 
He came to remove the darkness that each of us knows and exchange it for light. And God, I pray that we would see the power of Jesus in our lives. I pray that we would hate the darkness. We would hate the effects that it brings, the hopelessness, the shame, the loneliness, the bondage, and the war. And I pray that we would experience the freedom and the joy and the peace that only Christ can provide. I pray that this Christmas season would be a reminder of who Jesus is and why he came. I pray that our hearts would be fixed to him who is our only hope. And may we long for his return. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, we pray. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.